Welcome to the Forward Church Weekly Podcast. This week's sermon is from the series, Longing for a King. For more information about Forward, giving, or to request prayer, visit www.forwardchurchfamily.com. You're here. Others are here with your families, and that's awesome. We welcome you. Others of you dads are at home, and you're with your families in your living room watching this online with our live stream feed, and uh, that's awesome as well because you're saying on Father's Day, it's important for us to gather with our church family and to worship the Lord. So we welcome you, and we say happy Father's Day. How many of you dads out there can um, relate to the packed mule? That's me, right? One trip with uh, all the groceries. I try to do it all at once. Uh, I laughed when I saw that. I thought that was kind of funny. But you know, as dads, sometimes it's very difficult. As dads, sometimes it's a huge blessing, but as dads, we have this responsibility to lead and to love our families, and dads, we just thank you that you would say today that it's a priority for you to gather with your church family. So we welcome you, and we say happy Father's Day to you. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to dive into God's Word. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for the truth in your Word that you are a good and loving and awesome and gracious Heavenly Father. And God, we know and understand that there are some that maybe didn't have a good father here on earth or some that maybe didn't know their father. Others had good examples of fatherhood. But God, we can all look to you, our heavenly father, and we can see that example of what it means to to truly love and to forgive and to offer grace and to receive grace. And we're thankful for that, thankful that you are good and perfect and that we can look to you this Father's Day. God, I pray for all the fathers that are here today and joining us online and we just lift them up to you. I pray that they would be blessed today. I pray they would be encouraged as we look at your word today. And God, that this would be a day that that every father would um, feel appreciated and loved and challenged even um, to to leave a legacy for their children and for their families. So God, we give this to you. We ask, Lord, that you would speak through this sermon, speak through the preaching of your word, um, that your Holy Spirit would teach us and change us from the inside out by the preaching of your word, Lord. We give this to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're in week 25 of this year. It's hard to believe, right? Week 25 of this year. As difficult as that is to believe, we're almost halfway through 2020, and what a year it's been so far. But that means that we're halfway through our study through the Bible as well. So how's everybody doing? I hope that you're continuing to read through the Bible, or maybe you're listening through the Bible. I'm thankful we have the technology to do that. If um, you're not much of a reader, you can listen to the audio on your smartphone, but I hope you're continuing through the Bible. But if you're just joining us, we're going to be covering 2 Samuel through um, 1 Kings, and we'll actually be in 1 Chronicles today as well. We're going to kind of cover a lot of ground as we look at the end of David's life. Last week, we studied the story of David and him battling Goliath, and we learned the very important truth that Jesus is the ultimate giant killer. We learned that Jesus destroys the the giant of sin and death for us. He defeated that giant for us, and he is the ultimate giant killer. So Jesus stood in our place as our representative to take down the giant of sin and death. That was the focus of last week, and that's what the story of David and Goliath is pointing us to. And today we're going to learn more about David in his final years. David's life story reminds us that we all need grace and forgiveness. And I know that we could all use that, right? Every one of us needs to be reminded of that. You see, King David was described by God as a man after God's own heart. Yet, when you read the story of David and you learn more about David, you find that David still had some major flaws. He had some major um, issues in his life and major sin. He sinned and he needed God's grace just like we sin and we need God's grace. 
So while David was chosen by God and he was a man after God's own heart, he was still a flawed example of the one true king. He was the flawed example of the king that would come, and that pointed to the need for the one true king who would be King Jesus. Remember, we've talked about how as we read through Scripture, all the way through the Old Testament, we've seen that every story points to the coming king. Every story points to Jesus, the king who would conquer sin and death for us. So while David was a great king, we're found still longing for the king that would set everything right. And everyone was longing for that king. And near the end of David's reign and the end of his life, we see him finish well. While he made a lot of mistakes, he ended up leaving a great legacy. And that's great news for every one of us because we can mess up, we can make mistakes, we can fail like David did, we can have a terrible start at life. Yet when we humbly come before God and we seek forgiveness from him, we receive that. And then we can finish strong and we can still leave a great legacy. So many of us today, I think that's important for us to know. And on Father's Day, I think it's great for dads to know that no matter where you've been up until this point, no matter what you've done, the mistakes you've made, you can still leave a great and lasting legacy. And we're going to see how by looking at David's life. So when we humbly seek forgiveness from the Lord, we receive it. And in his book, The 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership, John Maxwell wrote this statement about legacy. He said, achievement comes to someone when he's able to do great things for himself. Success comes when he empowers followers to do great things with him. Significance comes when he develops leaders to do great things for him. But a legacy is created only when a person puts his organization into the position to do great things without him. You see, one of the defining moments in the life of David came near the end of his life where he set his son Solomon up for success. And he began what he would um, would be his legacy. You see, few people had achieved as much as David. He went from being a shepherd boy to being a powerful king. And I would say the life of David would be labeled a success overall. He, had, he lived a great life of significance by any definition. And it's primarily because he set up his country and he set up his family for greatness after he was gone. And that's very rare. Most leaders are too short-sighted and, and too task-oriented and too prideful to set up others for success but David did that and it's a very special leader who has the character to make the task easier for those around them now I know that's something that we don't think about very much but I think as we mature in Christ we should as as leaders we should be leaders who will leave a legacy this applies to Christian parents and grandparents this applies to you this fall, we're going to have a family dedication like we do every year. We typically do that on Mother's Day, but we weren't meeting, so we've put it off to this fall, but we're going to dedicate children to the Lord, and we do that every year. But it's not enough, we always say, it's not enough to just stand there and symbolically dedicate your children to God. There needs to be a deliberate effort to pass on your faith to the next generation, and we talk about that all the time. With your children and your grandchildren, will they continue in the spiritual journey and the spiritual heritage that you've left when you're no longer around. And that's something important for us to think about. Are you putting practices into place and impacting hearts um, for that legacy of faith once you're gone? Students, you should think about this as well. Are you working to leave a legacy that lives on long after you leave your school? Or are you thinking just about now? This applies to everybody who ever serves in any capacity in the church. Is Are you equipping your class or your volunteer team or your home group or your ministry to function in your absence, or does it all revolve around you, and does it rest upon you and your shoulders? The story we're going to look at today is a direct application to most of you in the business world. 
if you're a leader in any capacity, are you preparing the people around you to function without you? Or ask yourself, would the company collapse if you were gone? You know, I'm consistently trying to follow the example of David by equipping people around me so that if something were to happen to me, then I know my family would remain strong in their faith. Something were to happen to me, I know that this church would continue on. You know, Pastor Blake has done a, a very good job. He's become a capable leader and a capable preacher. And I know that when I'm not here, the church does not miss a step. I'm so blessed that every year I get to take a three-week period in the summer. I get to take it off. I get to have time with my family. I get to relax, and I spend time in prayer, and it's a time of study. Um, part of that is a time of study and refreshment for the next year of ministry and planning for um, what God wants the church to, to do in that next year. It's vision time, and it's a blessing for me to take three weeks off, and I never, ever worry about what's happening at the church because the, the leaders around me are so capable of continuing the day-to-day part of the ministry. I think we always have to be asking ourselves when I'm no longer around, will my family continue to thrive? Will they be okay? Will my business continue to succeed if I weren't there anymore? Will my legacy of faith continue on through those that I've impacted? Or will everything simply come to a screeching halt when I'm gone? I want you to think about those applications as we study how David finished strong and how David left a legacy. The bulk of David's story is found in 1 Chronicles, the 28th and 29th chapters. We're going to be in 2 Samuel, and we're going to be in 1 Kings as well. They all tell the story of David, and we're going to see how David paved the way for his legacy to continue. And the first thing I want us to look at is David accepted his own limitations. He recognized he had limitations. 1 Chronicles 28, 2-3 says this, Then King David rose to his feet and said, Hear me, my brothers and my people. I had it in my heart to build a house of rest for the ark of the covenant of the Lord and for the footstool of our God. And I made preparations for building. But God said to me, You may not build a house for my name, for you are a man of war and have shed blood. David had this dream of building a magnificent temple for God. It was as if David kind of realized that it wasn't right for him to live in a house or a castle or whatever you wanted to call it that he lived in. It wasn't right for him to live in this really nice place when the people of God would go to a worn out tent to worship God. But then God said, no, David, you're, you're not going to build this temple because you've been a man of war. You have shed a lot of blood, but I'm going to allow your son Solomon to then build it. By the way, the name Solomon is from the same root word as the Hebrew Shalom. Shalom means peace. So the name Solomon describes a man of peace, and we know David, God says, you're a man of war. Now, when David heard this, because he had this dream, he had this big desire, he wanted to do great things for God, and he got told no, David could have complained. David could have become bitter. David could have rebelled and tried to build the temple anyway. He could have said, I'm king, I've got the resources, I've got the people around me, I'm going to build this temple. He could have said, I'm going to continue on even though God told him no. But David graciously accepted the limitations that God put on him, and he rejoiced that God, God promised to bless his son. And in verse 4, says, Yet the Lord God of Israel chose me from all my father's house to be king over Israel forever. For he chose Judah as leader, and in the house of Judah, my father's house, and among my father's sons, he took pleasure in me to make me king over all Israel. You see, instead of focusing on what he could not do, he focused on how much God had blessed him. Instead of focusing on the no, he said, you know what? I didn't deserve to be king in the first place. God chose me to be king. I've messed up a lot, and yet he allowed me to continue to be king, and he's blessed me in so many ways. He said yes in so many ways, and because of that, David rejoiced. 
You see, instead of being bitter over being told no by God, David became better and he rejoiced in what God had already said yes to. You know, I think we would do well to follow the example of David. I think too often we will be bitter because we feel God said no to a dream that we had. We hear God say no to something and and we, we get frustrated and we get bitter instead of better. And maybe you had a dream of some athletic accomplishment and it was a no. Maybe it's financial independence and it's just not happening. Maybe you wanted a house full of children and God said no or reconciliation of relationships and you never saw that happen. And you recognize it's not been God's will for your life, and it's difficult to accept. Sometimes our dreams will never be realized, and and we can become bitter over that. You know, when I was young, I had this huge dream for my running career. I mean, I had big aspirations for my running career. And, And those dreams, they got cut short by injuries. You know, it took me years, literally, for that frustration to finally go away because I was looking at the no that my dream got cut short. And I finally, after years, was able to begin to look at all the yeses I had throughout my running career, all the achievements that I was able to accomplish, and all the ways that God said yes, and the things I could enjoy. But for a long time, I was really frustrated with the no. I think too often we focus on the no from God instead of all the other yeses that he has blessed us with. So I want to suggest an exercise for you. I know it's been good for me, but take some time this week and write down all the times God has said yes to you. Be specific about it. Be thorough about it. Think about all the different ways that God has said yes. And you'll be amazed how that begins to change your outlook on life and how that begins to focus you on the blessings of God instead of that one no. See, if we get hyper-focused on the no, we become bitter. But when we look at all the yeses, we become better. And you will be more like David and able to respond like David. See, instead of becoming bitter with the no, David recognized that God had a better plan. And then he had a positive attitude. And he realized his limitations were then going to actually enable him to focus on helping his successor, his son Solomon, and on establishing David's legacy. And that's one of the things that made David such a special person of character. So David's son Solomon then would be the one to build the house of the Lord, and Solomon would become the next king. So David looked at that, and he took his next step in preparing the way for Solomon by casting a vision for him. You know, I heard a great statement recently regarding vision, and it goes like this. A vision is not a vision until you write it down and you communicate it out loud. If you keep a vision in your head, it's simply a dream. And how many of us believe we have this vision from God, but we've kept it in our head, and because of that, we're just dreaming. We're a dreamer. We're dreaming. When will this ever happen? You see, if God's given you a vision, you write it down, you begin to speak it, you talk about it, and then it becomes reality. But if you keep it in your head, it just stays and remains a dream. And we see David, he begins to speak out this vision. First Chronicles 28, 9 reads, And you, Solomon, my son, know the God of your father and serve him with a whole heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. Be careful now, for the Lord has chosen you to build a house for the sanctuary. Be strong and do it. You see, David intentionally passed along this vision that God had given him to his son Solomon to build the temple. And then in verse 20, he says, don't be afraid. God will empower you. He says, don't be afraid because God is in this. He's going to be there with you. Specifically, the Bible says this, be strong and courageous and do it. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed for the Lord God, even my God, is with you. He will not leave you or forsake you until all the work for the service of the house of the Lord is finished. 
parents, school teachers, employers, what kind of vision are you casting for the people who follow in your steps? Are you giving them this kind of a vision? Have you cast a vision by writing it down and, and speaking it out loud? Or is it really a dream that's floating around inside of you? You know, for the most part, vision casting is not just this dramatic conversation you have on a retreat one day and you say, here's my vision for life and here's what we're going to do. And then you don't talk about it anymore. It's the constant everyday conversations. It's the things that come out of us that cast the vision for our life. Let's use this example from parenting. Let's say that your kids consistently hear you say things like, you know, the Joneses, man, they've got the nicest house in the neighborhood. I really, I really love their, their big house and how it backs up to the lake. And, and they've also got a pool out back, so they have a lake and a pool, and that's, that would be nice to have. And, you know, they take winter vacations every, every winter to Colorado, and they go skiing. I really wish we could do that. And, and, you know, last summer they went to the Gulf, and this summer I heard they're going um, out to, to, to the beach in California. And, you know, their, their three kids, man, they've done great. Their boy is on a full athletic scholarship, and their daughter just accepted a scholarship to Juilliard for, for singing and acting. And, and if they hear those kind of things from you on a regular basis, what you're doing is you're casting a vision, you're imparting values with your words and with what you say is important to you. And with those statements right there, you're saying wealth and education and status and titles, vacations, that's what life is all about, if those are the words that your children are hearing. But let me counter that with if your children frequently hear you say things like, you know, that family, they're so, they're so faithful to their local church. I love how they serve on a regular basis and how they've poured their lives out. You know, that family, they're so generous with their money. I've seen them help so many people. I've seen them bless people that are in need and, and not even want any of the credit. They've done it thinking nobody noticed, but, but I've seen it. And, and what a blessing it is to know people like that. They help people who are in need. And, and you know, that, that family, they're really strong in their moral convictions. And here's why that stands out to me and what's important. You know, this family, they have a positive testimony for Jesus. And I love how they share Jesus with their life and they invite people into their home. And when you do that, you cast a completely different vision for life. And you see, they learn from you what really matters is a life that honors God. You see, what you write and what you say and what you live is what others around you will then take as the vision that you have for your life. So let me ask you, what would make you most proud of your children as they grow up? If they're wealthy and famous and have the nicest home in the neighborhood or if they grow up to be godly servants of others you see they can tell what you value and they will likely follow that vision that you cast with your words in life but it's also important to know that they have to choose there comes a point in their life when they will choose whom they will serve solomon we learn later failed to follow david set this great example and cast this legacy an amazing legacy and we see solomon stumble through life because he had to make choices with his own will. And that's why Paul wrote to Timothy, and he said this in 2 Timothy 1.5, why it's so important, though, to leave a legacy and to have that legacy for our children and our children's children. He said, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. You see, there's this biblical model that if you want your children to display sincere faith, then you have to be living with a sincere faith as well. They have to not only see it in your life, but they need to hear it from you. It needs to be a vision that you're casting to them on a regular basis, and it has to be consistency. It doesn't mean we're perfect. We can't be perfect, but when we fail, we are humble, and we ask forgiveness, and we seek forgiveness from the Lord. We ask forgiveness from those around us, and we forgive others. You see, that's the, the legacy that we're called to leave. 
So if you want your children to display a sincere faith, you have to be living with that faith as well, and, and you must cast that vision. David had this passion for God and this desire to build the temple, and he cast that vision to his son Solomon, and then he prepared the way for Solomon. He couldn't build the temple himself, but he arranged the basic construction plans so that Solomon would have a head start. And verse 11 tells us that David gave his son detailed plans. Now, when you build something, it's wise to have a plan. Look at Look at um, this right here. These are the blueprints for the remodel of this building. And I mean, this is thick. There's a lot of stuff in here. When you go digging through this, there's details. There's, there's stuff on the electrical layout. There's the plumbing layout. There's how the lights will be spread out throughout the building. There's the fire suppression system is labeled in all these pages. There's just a ton of detail that when I look at it, I look at it and go, wow, I don't know how somebody can read that and know where to put everything. But it's so detailed, so much that, that we know this building is put together with a plan. This building had a plan for it, and the plan was followed. So that begs the question, do I have a plan for my life? Do I have a detailed plan for my life? Do I have a detailed plan for passing on my faith? Have I put together a blueprint for leaving a legacy for those that are so important to me? If, we, if we'll go that much detail and put a blueprint in place for a building that we're going to sit in, how much more should we spend time making a detailed blueprint and a plan for our lives. So I would give you that challenge. Think about that and come up with a plan. Listen, not only did David plan out the details of the building, but he prepared the teams of people that would actually do the work. Verse 21 says, And behold, the divisions of the priests and the Levites for all the service of the house of God, and with you in all the work will be every willing man who has skill for any kind of service. Also the officers and all the people will be holy at your command. You know, sadly, sometimes people secretly want a business to fail after they leave because it will validate that they were needed. You know, sometimes people, you know, would really wish that once they leave a position that ah, that next person, I hope they don't do as good as me because it's going to prove how valuable I was and that I should have been there. David doesn't need that validation. David wants Solomon to succeed because he understands it's the Lord's work. And David desires to give the Lord all the credit. And we see that because of the way that David lives his life and the way he speaks as well. And he also put his resources behind it to prove it. First Chronicles 29 details what David gave. And he began to just give of his resources so that this temple would be built. And David gave an extravagant offering to the Lord so that Solomon could build this temple. And, and in the Bible, it lists that he gave gold where there was need of gold. He gave silver where they needed silver. He gave bronze where they needed bronze. He gave jewels where they needed jewels. And it gives the amounts of each of those that he gave. And you know, economists have calculated how much David gave, how much it would be in today's currency. And the latest number I saw is that it would equal someone giving $21 billion with a capital B, billion, to build this temple for the Lord. David recognized that everything that he had came from God. David, at the end of his life, recognized, God, it's all yours, and I'm just going to give it all because I want to bless you and be a blessing to you and be a blessing to all the people that will come to worship you. And he used those resources to be a blessing to God and a blessing to people. You know, I have a dream. I have a dream of being extravagantly generous for kingdom work. I don't think I can ever give $21 billion. If God gives it to me, I'd love to give it, but I don't think I could give that much, but I want to be extremely generous because that's what the Bible models. You know, Tanya and I, we're taking steps to get there. We're not there yet, but we're taking the necessary steps. We dream of, of giving anonymously to people anytime we see need. Wouldn't it be a beautiful thing to, to be able to just, anytime you see a need, to just bless people and, and help them out? 
bless people extravagantly just because we want to do it. You know, we have this dream of our generosity being the biggest line item in our budget. Wouldn't that be a beautiful thing if what we give to the church and the Lord's work is bigger than our mortgage or a car payment or anything else? That's, the, that's where God wants us. Why? Because that's what we see in the Bible and because he is the author of generosity. You know, in the Bible, there are three levels of giving. We see a tithe. A tithe is, is defined as 10%. It's 10% off the top given to the local church for the work of the Lord. And that is first and foremost the fundamental step towards generosity. That's what the Bible tells us is to give that tithe because it all belongs to God to begin with. And, and then there's an offering. And an offering is giving something above and beyond the tithe that, that may be given to the local church or it could be given to help others. It could be given to a, a ministry of some kind outside the church or just to help someone in need. And then we also see extravagant giving, giving so big and so much that it is painful giving. And I know that sounds counterintuitive because, we, well, who wants to hurt when they give, right? And doesn't the Bible say we're to be joyful givers? Well, yes, absolutely. And I can tell you that when we do give so much that it hurts, we never look more like God than at that point. And when we get to that point of being able to be painful givers, it actually becomes joyful because we see what God does with it and we see how he then provides through that gift. You see, God is the original extravagant giver. God gave his son Jesus for us on the cross. And let me tell you, that's a painful gift. It pained God to put his son Jesus on the cross for us. But he did it because he loves us so much. He says, I'm going to be an extravagant giver, and I want you to become extravagant givers. And that's how he's calling us to live, willing to give everything for him and his sake. And some of his final words recorded, David gave instructions to Solomon to be willing to give his all, to give 100%. David set the example. He had cast the vision. He'd spoken it. He had lived the best he could, and he had some, made some great mistakes, but he also humbled himself, and he asked for forgiveness. Then in 1 Kings chapter 2, verses 2 through 4, says this. David said, I'm about to go the way of all the earth. Be strong and show yourself a man. And keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rules, and his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all you do and wherever you turn, that the Lord may establish his word that he spoke concerning me, saying, if your sons pay close attention to their way, to walk before me in faithfulness with all their heart and with all their soul, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel." You see, David here in this passage said, be strong, show yourself a man, keep the charge of the Lord your God, walk in his ways, keep his statutes, and if, if you do this with all your heart, if you do this with all your soul, you will not lack. You see, the reality is if you give 100% to God, you are not going to lack, but you've got to be all in. David gave Solomon some important instruction and then instruction and then he died. And then in verse 12 it says, So Solomon sat on the throne of David his father, and his kingdom was firmly established. He had this great start, this kingdom that is established because of the way David had finished strong and left a legacy. David set his son up for success, and he gave him this amazing start. It was then up to Solomon to finish strong. And we see as we read on that Solomon struggled greatly. Solomon struggled to remain strong and to remain steadfast and to remain faithful. 
And we learn that there's still this need for the one true king. That David couldn't be the perfect king. Solomon couldn't be the perfect king. But there would be a perfect king that would come. And what we learn is that we can finish strong, but we have to begin correctly. We have to have a course correction. You know, maybe you didn't have that example like David for you. Maybe you didn't have that example, and, and maybe you didn't receive the extravagant gift of salvation offered through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ yet. Today we want to offer you an invitation that you can receive that extravagant gift of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And then like David, you can begin working on your vision to finish strong. Listen, like David, we can all have a lasting legacy. Every one of us can leave a lasting legacy. We just have to understand our limitations, understanding that God will say no in some things, but let's, let's be thankful for the yeses. Focus on how much God has said yes to us. He said yes to us through his son, Jesus Christ, and we can receive that yes. And then we write down and get specific about the godly vision for our life. We become extravagantly generous in all areas of life, saying, God, I'm all in. And we make plans to follow Jesus with all of our heart and with all of our soul. And the Bible says, if you'd be faithful in all your heart and in all of your soul, then you can leave a legacy like David. Listen, you can work really hard. You can make a ton of money and you can leave that as a legacy. But that legacy can be squandered in a hurry. We've seen it happen. We've heard of it happening. You can have a, a huge house and you can have some really cool cars. But that huge house can be broken into. It could be burned to the ground. That car could be totaled the first time that it's driven. You can even try your hardest to have a lot of relational legacy, to have a lot of friends around you and people and family. But in the end, only those with saving faith in Jesus will be reunited in heaven. The Bible tells us the only lasting legacy is a spiritual legacy. And the beautiful truth of Scripture is that when you have that spiritual legacy, all those other things, they're poured upon us in eternity. The Bible says that blessings will be poured upon us for eternity, that rewards will be heaped upon us for eternity, that honor will be heaped upon us for eternity, that relationships will be there with us, will be known, and we will fully know when we are together in heaven. And the Bible says you shall not lack when you focus your life here on giving all you have to God. That's the legacy David left, and that's the legacy that you can leave as well. Let's pray. God, we are grateful that you give us a way to leave a lasting legacy. And God, we just confess today that sometimes we get focused on the things of this world. We get focused on material things and trying to leave a legacy, and we get focused on the now. Father, my prayer today is that each of us would recognize that while we may have made mistakes in the past, that we may have failed, that we can humble ourselves before you. We can receive that extravagant gift that you've offered of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. We can confess our sins and we're forgiven of those sins. May we do that today. And Father, others of us, maybe we've been living with a vision in our head and we recognize today it's just been a dream. I pray that after today we would write it down and we would begin to speak it. It would come from our lips, the vision that you've given us for living life. That we would seek to follow you with all of our heart, with all of our strength, with all of our soul. That we would look to you for guidance, our one true king. 
So God, we worship you now. We praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen. been listening to the Forward Church Weekly Podcast. We hope you'll join us next week as we continue in our series, Longing for a King. For more information about Forward, giving, or to request prayer, visit www.forwardchurchfamily.com.